0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David Hederman. I'm the teacher and pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community. Know this, I truly mean both of those things. Thank you so much for making the effort to worship with us uh, on this digital format. And with that, being a part of our community. I know with COVID and us being scattered and distant, it can be hard to feel as though we are connected to one another. But by you making this effort to worship together with one another in this way, you're helping to keep the community going. And so please know that I appreciate you. And I look forward to this season uh, when COVID is is behind us. And once again, we we can come together and and all the folks that are worshiping with us online, that that you all can come and and be a part of what we do here on a Sunday morning. The book of Isaiah is written to another time, uh, another tumultuous time for God's people. Uh, Previously, it was a people that had been united. They were in one kingdom, fallen one king. But since then, the nation has been split in two. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Both kingdoms have turned their back on the one true God. They've ignored his wisdom and counsel and uh, and the instruction of his words. So to correct this, God sends prophets to them, Isaiah being one of them. He sends prophets to them to call them to confess their sin, repent of their sin, and to experience the loving, corrective discipline of the Lord. But time and time again, the people would turn a deaf ear to the prophets and, and continue on in their destructive ways. Eventually, God gives them over to their sinfulness. He removes his hand of protection and both nations are taken captive by foreign kingdoms. And all of God's people are either taken captive, subjugated, or taken into exile. And the book of Isaiah is written as these events begin to unfold. The full-scale invasion and exile of God's people, it's not happened yet, but Isaiah warns it's about to happen. So chapter 8 is the prediction of of the war, of the invasion by foreign empires and the destruction and sadness that will follow. And yet in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah gives a message from the Lord that was to give hope to the people, even as they suffer. This hope was both for their current situation and for the future of their nation. And so what happens is eventually parts of it were fulfilled when, uh, when ultimately they were delivered from the Assyrians, but much of it was fulfilled or looking forward to the coming of Christ. So as a result, this passage contains one of the most quoted and one of the most noteworthy prophecies about the birth of Jesus, and it's often read during the season of Advent. And I believe it still speaks to why we are right to find our joy and peace in Christ, and Christ alone, regardless of our circumstances. So I want us to look at it. I want us to check it out. Go to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. We're just going to grab the first three verses here. Um, know that some of these verses are, are more specific to their situation. But yet again, all these verses point us forward to Christ and the ministry and the joy and the peace that he brings. So uh, let's have at it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So it's a promise there that that there's there's no more gloom for these war-ravaged lands. For those that that, that are about to witness this uh, destruction and experience it, it's a promise that one day it is going to pass. But it specifically references Zebulun and Naphtali. These were two of the 12 tribes of Israel that were, uh, the the tribal lands were kind of on the edge of the promised land. And so that means that they're, literally kind of the doormats for when these conquering armies invaded, they would be the first to fall uh, every single time an army came in. So they were the doormats for empires conquering the land just off of where they were positioned. But yet here, there's a promise given to them that just as they were the first to see the invading army, they're going to be the first to see the coming light. They will be the ones to see and experience the rescue and the hope first and foremost among all the lands of Israel and Judah. And that comes to fruition because Jesus' hometown of Nazareth is is in the land of one of these two tribes, as well as he starts his ministry in the the region of Galilee, which these lands were a part of. And so this comes to fruition in and with Christ. They're the first to see this hope, first to see this light, first to see this rescue. It also speaks of how um, the, the nation will be enlarged in and through this area. And that happens as well, because with these two tribes being on the edge they these two tribes also had outsiders living within their land people who weren't of the nation of israel or gentiles living among their lands well jesus begins his ministry in this area and the hope of god extends to those outside of the nation of israel to include the gentiles who trust in him so we see this increasing of the nation if you will as there are p- many people responding to the hope and ministry of jesus And as they respond to Jesus, it gives birth to the joy and hope that God brings into their life. And it's the hope that Isaiah begins to describe here, right? It's the hope that people feel after a harvest, after a great work has been done. It's the hope that a nation feels after a, a, a victory. No more heartache, no more distress, no more gloom, but victory, joy, and peace because of a great work that Christ has done, because of a great work that victory has done, that, uh, a great victory that he has accomplished on our behalf. And so what you can see even in these first three verses is a, a promise, a, a look towards this light that is coming, and also uh, Isaiah begins to describe the peace that this light or that Christ will bring. Look at how he further describes it in verse four. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So here Isaiah turns his his words really to the Lord. and And he says, this is a victory you will bring. This is a work that you are going to complete just like you did for Gideon when the Israelites took on the people of Midian. So he's referencing a specific event in Israel's history. But the takeaway for you and for me, it's a victory that the Lord brought about. once, Just like he brought about a victory before, it's a victory that God will bring about again. But this time it's going to be a complete and total victory. The yoke of oppression and abuse and subjugation. One day it will be done. It will be over. And that will be liberating for both the oppressed and the oppressor who doesn't know the the sin that they are enslaved to. It's complete freedom for both. So much so to where even the instruments of war and conflict, they are no longer needed and they can be burned in the fire. And so Isaiah here, again, he's giving this picture of this complete and total deliverance from all violence, from all evil, from all conflict. So how is this complete and total victory? How is this complete and total peace going to be accomplished? Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is going to be accomplished by the zeal of the Lord. The zeal of the Lord for his plan, and his plan is to send his son to be the Messiah, to send his son to be a Savior. So, for unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given. In this one sentence, you have both aspects of, of, of Christ, both natures of Christ, if you will. We, we see his human nature and his divine nature. He's born, so he's fully man, but he's given to us as he is fully God. And as he's fully, fully human and as he is fully God, he alone is the one who has the complete and total authority to serve and to reign as the righteous king of kings. Remember, these, these, the group that receives this letter, and they, they've seen a corrupt king at every turn. They've seen a, a, a corrupt king lead to worship false gods and lead them into sin that brings about God's judgment. Here there's a promise that there will be one to come who is the righteous king of kings, who's a wonderful counselor. His ways are full of wisdom and insight and truth. He is mighty God, so he's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He is God in the flesh he's everlasting father. The Israelites would often describe their good kings as fatherly in their love and concern for their people. And so as Jesus is the king of kings, he's not going to be dethroned. He has that power, but he also has this genuine loving and compassion and concern for his people as he is the everlasting father. He is also prince of peace He will be the one to bring about the type of peace and reconciliation that Isaiah has described throughout these words. He will be the one to reign forever. No challenges to his throne. No corruption in his kingdom. It's full of justice and righteousness for all eternity. This is what God has promised to do for his people. And the type of peace that will come with the Prince of Peace as he establishes the reign of the kingdom of God. That's the peace and joy that we have in our messiah it's the peace and joy that we have in our savior but if that's the case why isn't that type of peace why isn't that type of joy here right in a sense of if jesus is the prince of peace then where is this type of kingdom in the world today where's this expression of the kingdom of god and like i i you know, I don't need to go through and list all the different ways that we still see brokenness and injustice and heartache and suffering and conflict and war and violence in this world, right? Like, so we see that today. And oftentimes, this is one of the main reasons people don't trust in Jesus or, or don't recognize him. And one of the main reasons they reject him because they still see all this brokenness. And know and this I get that pushback. I get that pushback. But Jesus also answers this. Really kind of in direct fashion, when Jesus is before Pilate, um, uh, right before his crucifixion, Jesus tells Pilate straight up, my kingdom, it's not of this world. It's not of this world. So that means for you and for me, if we're looking, uh, looking for it to look like the kingdoms of man, we're not going to find that expression. So if, we're, if we have a way that we're prescribing for it to look like, it's probably not going to line up with what we expect. But Jesus does describe his kingdom, and and as such, he lets us know what to look for in this world. For instance, Jesus describes the kingdom of God as both here now and a future reality. It's both here and now, and it's something that is is to come. It's already present, but it's coming into existence. To help us understand that truth, Jesus gives different parables. And one of the most famous parables that teaches this dynamic of the kingdom of God is the parable of the mustard seed. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that starts the smallest of seeds uh, in, in the garden. But when planted, it grows to be one of the largest trees, one of the largest plants in the garden. And so with that, the kingdom of God, it's here in seed form or sapling form now. But it is growing to one day be here in all of its fullness. It's a once and future kingdom. It's here and it's coming. It's here because Jesus was born with his first advent and began his kingdom. It's also coming in all of its fullness with his second advent when he returns. And so what should happen for followers of Christ is at Christmas we celebrate the first advent to stir our hopes for the second. We celebrate the first advent to stir our hope for the second. And when we do that, that, that allows the joy and peace that we have in Christ to also have room for grief and lament and despair. Because we can see the brokenness and the heartache and the suffering and the injustice in this world and that can lead us to grieve and to mourn and lament. And we have that and we can recognize that and we can express that. But while we walk through that as well, we also have the joy and the peace that we have in Christ that we know is here in seed form. We also have joy and peace in the coming of Christ's kingdom where one day where these will no more be in existence, where heartache and pain will be done and we experience the total and complete peace and joy of God's kingdom. And so it allows us to have room for grief and lament and despair because we are anchored to the joy and peace that we have in Christ from his first advent and the joy and peace that we know we will experience with his second. So at Christmas, we celebrate the first advent and it stirs our hope for the second. Jesus also describes his kingdom as being within and among his people. In Luke chapter 17, some religious leaders who were also rightfully longing for the kingdom of God, they ask Jesus, you know, when's it going to come? What's it going to look like? And, and again, Jesus tells them, look, it's not going to look like something you expect it to look like. And like, there it is, or, or it's easily observable, or here it is, or whatnot, like there's the boundary marker with a flag or something. Like, it's not going to look like that because the kingdom of God is something that's within and among God's people. The kingdom of God is, is, so again, not limited to boundaries, but it expands and reigns when, when people trust in the Lord. So when we trust in him, our hearts and lives are transformed by Christ, then we begin to express the virtues and the values and the ethics of God's family as we are his sons and daughters, as we are members of God's kingdom. So when we live according to his commands, when we live according to the virtues of the kingdom of God, that's where you see expressions of God's kingdom. I mean, the apostle Paul speaks to this, teaches teaches this aspect of the kingdom of God as well. It's in the book of Romans. Um, he's he's addressing a specific issue within the church. There are some questions, there's some argument around dietary issues. What can we eat? What can we drink? That type of deal. And he goes to answer that question. But in answering that question, he has a teaching on the kingdom of God. And in Romans fourteen, seventeen, and nineteen, he says this: The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way, with righteousness and joy and peace, is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So Paul, the kingdom of God, it's a matter of, of serving Christ in joy and peace and righteousness. That's the, 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 what the, the matters of the kingdom of God. So Paul's calling on them to express this peace, to cultivate this peace as they serve Christ in this way. He says, look, when we do that, it's pleasing to God and it's pleasing to our neighbor, right? Because we're not adding to the brokenness in this world, but we're agents of reconciliation. We're expressing the peace of the kingdom of God. This past fall, we were in our Beatitudes series and we saw how Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. It's how we express ourselves as part of God's family, part of his kingdom, because we are about this work of making and bringing peace into this world. And so during this Advent season, not only do we celebrate the arrival of joy and peace in Christ in this world, we also recognize that we have a role to play in the arrival or advent of joy and peace in this broken and fallen world. That that happens right I mean you, uh, hopefully you can begin to see how these dots connect when we respond to the gospel when we respond to Christ's invitation to trust in him to receive his grace and mercy in our life then we know that he, our sins are forgiven that he reconciles us to God so we have peace with God we have that joy as well that that work's done that 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 Victory over our sins has, has been made complete. And so we, we have joy and peace in that situation. Also, as we've been led to repent of our sins, confess that brokenness, as we've experienced His grace and mercy in our lives, now we are called to then extend that grace and kindness and compassion and sacrificial love in our relationships with others. And in doing so, the kindness that we give, the peace that we give there, in our efforts to help cultivate away a, a or to lead others to repentance and reconciliation with Christ as well. That's how we partner with Christ, the Prince of Peace, as he expands and grows the kingdom of God one heart at a time. We express God's reign in our life with our trust in him. We also express God's reign in our life with us sharing the hope of the gospel and inviting others to accept Christ into their life, to yield their life to the reign of God's kingdom in their life as well. So it's a way that we express the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel. And I would say we also express the gospel as we address the heartache and suffering and injustice that we see in this world. Because those things are there, right? I mean, again, we see that. But yet now when followers of Christ, when we see the brokenness and we see the injustice, While it is sad and tragic and worthy of our lament and worthy of our grief, it's not worthy of us despairing and abandoning our faith, right? We don't look at that and say, oh, the kingdom of God is not here, but rather we look at these things and we see it as a call to action because those are all places where the peace of the kingdom of God are yet to reign. It's fertile soil for seeds of the kingdom to be planted. As we anticipate the yield of a harvest of joy and peace that Christ will bring, we have that hope and we have that confidence because we know it is Jesus who does that ultimate work and it is Jesus who will one day finish it completely. But until then, we cannot abandon our role. We cannot abandon our role. Yes, I can get overwhelmed. And maybe you can get overwhelmed too when we see the brokenness in this world around us and and we consider our call to engage it. That can be overwhelming. And we can maybe even despair at it being an insurmountable task, but it's there where we must remember we're not and we were never called to complete the work. That's a role for Christ. But we cannot abandon it either. It is a work that is hard. It is a work that is but it is a work that God created in advance for his people to do because it is the work of peacemaking. And that gives the soul joy and shows how our faith is not only a faith that binds us to Christ for all eternity, but it is the faith that also binds us to our fellow neighbor as we join in the redeeming work that Christ is doing amongst our city, our state, and our nation. And when, when we see that and we consider that, like how much hope would that bring and how much would that demonstrate the kingdom of God? It is here, pushing back against the darkness in this world. That would be the light of Christ shining in and through his people into the darkness in this world around us. That would be the kingdom of God reigning in the hearts of his people, being expressed in the world today. I think it would again be good news and great joy for all the world as we join Christ in the redeeming work that he is doing and point all to the hope that is found in him. You see, during the Advent season, we celebrate the joy and the peace that Christ brings into this world, but we should also let this season spur us on in our mission to help others experience the joy and the peace of the kingdom of God and celebrate its arrival into their lives. It's a way that we show ourselves to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's a way that we show ourselves to be people dedicated to not only experiencing joy and peace for ourselves, but helping others do the same. And that is a way that we can spread the joy of a Christmas season. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for the joy and peace that you give us in Christ. The peace that we have of being forgiven from our sins being reconciled to you, the joy that we have of being a part of your family. God, I pray that we would know that. If there's anyone listening to this, Lord God, that doesn't, I pray that you would call them to, you to put their hope and their faith and their trust in you. And God, I pray that they would know that they can respond to you today by just confessing their sins and trusting in Christ, Lord God, and, and know that they can have that joy and that peace in you and know that that work is done, that you've done that work completely in their life. Got to also pray that if we have experienced that that we would look to the world around us and see areas of brokenness and hardship and heartache and know that these are all places that's fertile soil for the seeds of your kingdom to be planted so that God help us uh, commit ourselves to the work of bringing joy and peace into this world by being agents of reconciliation, agents of restoration wherever we can, however we can because that puts on display the hope that we have in you God help us Help us celebrate this first advent in a way that stirs our hope for the second. God, help us celebrate this advent in such a way that binds our faith to you and that binds us to our fellow man. God, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.